Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. On February 9th of 2004, 21-year-old UMass Amherst student Maura Murray disappeared in the White Mountains of New Hampshire in one of the most perplexing mysteries of our time. For years, we have covered Maura's case and the tireless online community that surrounds it in great detail. We have since expanded our mission with this series, raising awareness and shining a light on the stories of other missing persons. We now sit on the board of directors of the nonprofit organization Private Investigations for the Missing, which was founded by Bruce Maitland. Bruce's daughter, Brianna Maitland, went missing from Montgomery, Vermont on March 19th of 2004, just six weeks after and about 80 miles away from where Maura Murray vanished. Private Investigations for the Missing aims to assist with investigations for underserved families whose missing loved ones have been forgotten by the media or by law enforcement. Through our growing community, we hope to shed a light on these cold cases. Families and loved ones can reach out to us at investigationsforthemissing.org. This is Missing. Welcome back to Missing. I am Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I am doing great today, Tim. Excited for this episode to bring to the public our conversation with a very fine gentleman. How are you today? I am doing all right. And yeah, this this episode is great. We speak with our friend Chief Lou Barry, and the chief nickname is really just a nickname at this point. He is a former police chief, but he does work with us at the nonprofit Private Investigations for the Missing. You can check them out and us out at investigationsforthemissing.org. 
We're also joined with Jennifer Amell, our cohort, and someone who spent some time with Lou in almost an investigative, interrogative, questioning uh, circumstance with some people with an investigation. And she got to experience how he works. And it's really interesting to hear her describe what she's learned from him in those circumstances and how he handles himself and how he handles the people he's speaking with and asking questions of. The consummate professional, Chief Lou Barry, (laughs) and... uh, you know, private investigations for the missing is accepting donations. There is a link in the show notes. This is a nonprofit that we work with and we're on the board of, and it's always accepting donations. And you'll hear in this interview how important private investigations for the missing is. Really, it is a movement as much as it is an organization to help underserved families in marginalized communities all across the country. Everything that we do and all of our peers and the the guests that we have on, we just want to continue to raise the visibility of this organization because it fills such a huge gap when it comes to cold cases. The fact that these individuals just fall off the map through no fault of law enforcement just because there are more priorities that come in. These people fall off the off the map and, and they have nothing to go to. There's no other resource. So that's the importance of private investigations for the missing as a movement, as an organization. And in this episode, we discuss a few cases that have been submitted to private investigations for the missing. Some of them we've covered on the podcast. So you want to listen back for those. One of them is Aaron A.J. Johnson. Aaron Johnson was last seen October 12th, 2020 in Rusk County, Wisconsin, near Perch Lake Road in the Blue Hills of northwestern Wisconsin. If you have any information regarding AJ's whereabouts, please contact Rusk County Sheriff's Department at 715-532-2200. And we also discussed the missing person, Eric Thomas Alvarado. And we had mentioned that at some point during this investigation, it wasn't appropriate for the organization, PIs for the Missing, to continue. It was more appropriate for law enforcement to follow up on the details and circumstances of his disappearance. So you'll hear us talk about that and you'll hear us say it's just not really uh, appropriate for an organization to interfere with what law enforcement is already working on. But what we can do is give the information. We can tell you that he's been missing since November 20th, 2018 from Atlanta, Texas. That's Atlanta, Texas. And if you have any information, you can contact the Atlanta, Texas Police Department at 903-796-7973 or the Ogden Police Department at 870-898-5640. Okay, and again, there is a link to donate to PIs for the Missing in the show notes. None of that goes to us. It goes directly to the private detectives and really, actually, just their expenses um, because this is a nonprofit. People do it pro bono, but just for expenses. So definitely donate if you have anything extra we'd really appreciate it and bruce maitland the founder would as well and if you want to check out everything else that we got going on swing on by crawlspace-media.com Welcome back to the podcast, Chief Lou Barry. How are you today? Not bad. I'm surviving. 
Surviving is really all that you can ask for nowadays, and it's good yeah. to see. It's good to see your smiling face. You're always welcome here. Um, Thanks. God, you're so busy too. You you were just doing classes this morning. What were you doing classes on? I teach at a local college. Everything's via Zoom now. So. Yeah, you teach um you teach students how to be police uh, officers and detectives and 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 police chiefs. <laughs> I teach criminal justice classes, not just police. It's all sorts of aspects of it. Actually, one of the cases, one of the classes that I'm teaching um, is a cold case class. It's a, a combination with what they call a learning community class, where they actually combine two different classes from two different disciples uh, disciplines. And uh, one of which is forensics, is a, a professor that's a forensics teacher. Um, and she does uh, her end of the class deals with DNA and um, you know, fingerprinting, that type of thing. And then my side is the cold case investigation class. In fact, Tim and Lance are going to be guests for Thursday on how podcasts and assist in uh, cold case investigations. That's right. I uh, I forgot to put that in the calendar. What time is that on Thursday? <laughs> I have to make some adjustments here. Uh, 11 a.m. I'll send oh, you a Zoom link. Perfect. Okay. And we advise the students that you may, in fact, record that and use that as a uh, a podcast so it would be uh, good for them i think to um, to experience what it's like to do a podcast yeah well we will make sure to instruct them how to proceed with reckless abandon <laughs> maybe a fact or two right yes yes <laughs> and jan you're invited to that also if you'd like to uh, <laughs> participate and let them know what you do with uh, amazing yes i have lots of wisdom to impart I'm very pleased to be here with you today, Lou, though, because I've learned so much from you um, in the recent year, just working side by side on a couple cases, which I'm sure we'll kind of get into here. Yeah, we wanted to discuss some private investigations for the missing cases. Uh, we've we've done a bunch of coverage lately, and Lou actually does a lot of work on these cases behind the scenes. Some of them that that we haven't talked about yet, and some of them that are official investigations. There's a, sort of a few different tiers that happen with uh, PIs for the missing, and Lou is seemingly involved in most of them. Well, I think um, you know a lot of people that listen to the podcast probably don't realize that the volume of work that you actually do to put into one. But uh, I know private investigation for the missing nonprofit gets a lot of requests from cases. And um, what I've been doing seemingly more and more, it seems like requests are coming in more and more uh, is, is kind of just taking a quick look at the case and determining a, is it something that um, fits what PI for the missing is intending to do? And B, is there some way that we can help? Uh, because there are just some cases that, um, you know, you feel bad telling the people, but uh, it's just really a private investigator isn't really going to help you do much. Case in point, we just had one come in from West Virginia, which is a request for an investigator. And um, when I looked into it a little bit, I mean, the police, I thought had done everything that they possibly could. It was a case of an individual apparently was suicidal and walked off uh, up into some very rugged terrain and hasn't been found. And a private investigator is realistically not going to do much <laughs> under those circumstances, you know? That's, I mean, that's an interesting question though. Like a, what do you look for when you do accept a case as an investigator? I think this, the totality of circumstances, um, number one, is there, 
is this solvable uh, potentially? I think a lot of times you realize right off the bat what we're we're not looking for a person here. We're looking for remains. And if that's the case, then you know you need a search and rescue team more than you need a a private investigator. You know, every case is different. Every case has its quirks. Some of them, there just hasn't been enough investigating done to determine what you're looking for. Case in mm-hmm. point just came in from uh, Nebraska along those lines. And, you know, very understaffed, under-resourced sheriff's department that frankly did not do very much and nothing's been done. People haven't been talked to. I think a private investigator can do a good deal of work helping them at least get some answers. Um, other times, you know, the police have gone in and done everything and there's really not much else left to do. Yeah, there's there's been a couple cases that have come our way that it seems that the person is out in some kind of remote area, like a, like a wilderness type thing. And really the only thing that will help recover that person is like a massive like search of the area. And I don't know if we can be much help in that regard, other than potentially organizing for that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. I think Brandon Lawson, which is a case we're all familiar with, is a good example of that. I, I, I think everyone is pretty satisfied that Brandon is in that area somewhere. Certainly Jason feels that way. That's why he's done a number of searches. And by the way, he I, I was talking to him last night. Uh, the next search has been postponed till January or February because of the they've had so much rain out there that the, the uh, vegetation is so dense that it would be would not be productive to to do a search until some of that goes away. So they're postponing it till January, February. But that's the type of thing where type of case where an investigator is good to a point, but once you get to that point, you, you you've done all the uh, everything you can except find the person. You know, you think you know what happened to him, where he is. That that's not a job for a private investigator anymore. Yeah, that really is more like a community point of action, right? Kind of what Jen said, like at that point you have to get the the search involved. So it's more like you need a, an organizer as opposed to a private investigator. You need somebody to come in and, you know, like what Jason does. Jason's what Jason not does, a, yeah. yeah, he's not a uh, licensed private investigator. He's a self-appointed advocate for the, um, uh, for Brandon Lawson and his family. So that works out well in that situation, but how many of these missing persons are there that don't have that that every year goes by where there's another you know few torrential rainstorms that will further wash away some evidence and not make it possible for searches to happen every year they get postponed by months and months and months and you know you're talking about most of these areas where people will voluntarily go into because they don't want to be found because they want to end their life in a peaceful way and not i guess inconvenience anybody with having to deal with their body so no one's going to walk in what i'm saying is no one's going to walk into a wide open space and make it easy for themselves to be found if that was their intent in the first place right and and in other cases some time has gone by if they were in an obvious location they would have been found they're in a type of area that is no one goes (laughs) maybe because of the terrain or, or the isolation or whatever um and, you know, even when they search, you have a tendency, if it's a, it's a, it's real rough terrain, it's kind of avoided a little bit. So some places are just inaccessible. So, and, uh, you know, another case in point is Aaron, Aaron Johnson up in Wisconsin. Um, same type of thing. And I, I just talked to his wife yesterday and um, she's having trouble keeping up community interest. 
because it just seems to have faded from everyone's mind. And uh, so I suggested to her that, uh, you know, perhaps maybe she wants to do a GoFundMe, get a billboard put up or something to get to generate some more interest in the, in the case. And uh, in fact, I told her I'd mention it, you know, to you guys about um, because that's I mean, I think everyone knows he's up there somewhere in the woods. He's just you just can't find him. But it's out of sight, out of mind. Nobody's talking about the case. Nobody's looking for him. You know, he's got he's got survivors, you know, wife and family deserve a disclosure on the thing. Absolutely. And that's one of the kind of beautiful functions if law enforcement or private investigators work with podcasts or media, just keeping the story alive and making sure people still care. This goes toward raising money for that sort of thing for for searches and stuff. So I think that's that's one of our sacred duties here at Crawl Space is to just keep these stories like uh, in the public eye um, and keep attention on it. Absolutely. And um, that's that's one of the things I want to emphasize to the students Thursday when you guys are there, that that's why we do them. Um, you know, two, two reasons. Number one, hopefully maybe someone's out there and they'll listen and they heard something that something clicks and they can, you know, come forward or maybe someone who, who has known something finally decides to come forward or whatever. And secondly, like you said, Jen, to keep it in the public eye, to keep people talking about it, keep people interested in, in the case. So we mentioned A.J. Johnson's case. That is a um, sort of a heartbreaking one. It's, it does kind of remind me of Brandon Lawson's in that in that way, where it's a kind of wilderness, sort of a tougher area to search. Um, what about any other cases that have come in um, recently that we've covered maybe on uh, P.I.s for the Missing? I know uh, Eric Alvarado is a case that you uh, looked into a little bit. Yeah, that was a very interesting case, uh, Texas and I did look at it a little bit. I talked to the police. I talked to the family members. A lot of bizarre circumstances to the case relative to where his vehicle was found and his one slipper being there with the tag that was left of the vehicle and his car keys being located a different day and his, his dogs being there. I mean, it was all just kind of a weird vibe to the whole thing. You know, for other reasons, I think the decision was made for us not to get involved in that just because of some of the circumstances. But when I was looking at it, I, you know, one of the things I do is a uh, search, comprehensive search on the individual. And it sounds foolish, but I think over the past year, we've located four people that by doing these searches and getting a phone number and calling them up, find out they're not missing after all, <laughs> you know, um, but anyways, aside from that, I got a phone number for him and I said, I'll call it. And I got his grandmother and I just talking to her, I felt so bad because here's this um, elderly Mexican woman who's, you know, just desperately trying to find out or find where her grandson is and everything. It's just, um, you know, that that makes you want to do these cases, I guess, is, is what I'm trying to say, you know, and you feel so helpless sometimes saying I had just something that nothing I can help you with. Well, no, I, I feel like it's important to make it a little less murky, right, that, you know, we will try to get involved in any uh, missing person case that comes our way. But there are certain circumstances where you have to m- make a separation and, and you have to say this isn't this isn't the right thing for us to do. This is something that should be more towards law enforcement and more towards people that can handle the fallout or the circumstances that may occur after the fact. So I, 
as much as we can do to get the name out there and raise the visibility, which the show does, you know, behind the scenes, we can work on it on an investigative level that really you can't share with the public because it is more about cooperating with law enforcement to actually, again, handle whatever fallout there might be. People have to remember, too, bottom line, private investigators cannot do anything in criminal cases except turn stuff over to the authorities. We can't prosecute. We can't arrest. We can't charge. You know, we can just gather information and pass it along. That's all we really can do. If, if there's a criminal matter, if it's just a, you know, a runaway or something, that's obviously a different situation, but. And working with law enforcement is really part of private investigations for the missing's uh, mission. You mentioned earlier that uh, there are certain cases that don't make any sense because law enforcement has done what they do. So in all these cases, are you in contact with law enforcement? I try to be, for the most part. It's usually one of the first steps is talk to the family or whoever made the request, getting some back, doing some background information, learning as much as I can, and then... Most of the time, I, I will touch try and touch bases with the investigating officer. Sometimes, um, you know, it depends on the agency. I've had great luck with some. Other cases, uh, they won't return a phone call. So it depends on the agency. And, you know, you can't force them to, you know, cooperate, obviously. Um, some are, are begging for help. Um, others you know, are willing to share what they've done and say, hey, this is what we've done. Can you think of anything else? And sometimes the answer is no, I can't. Um, you know, you've done everything that you, you can, that I can see that you can, you, you can do. Um, but, you know, case in point, we had two cases come in within the month. Um, one of them, the investigating officer won't return a phone call. So obviously they're not going to be cooperative. The second one was like, well, if you guys get involved, how much will you charge us to help? And I mean, I said, what are you talking about? He said, well, you know, we have to pay you, you to help us investigate. I said, well, no, PI for the Missing is a nonprofit group. We don't charge the family. It's, you know, that's why we're here. And this was, a, this was an officer asking this question. They're underfunded. They're under-resourced. It's a um, very bizarre case again, but no crime scene done. I think that's a case that we can really help out on. I really, really do. But if, if uh, you know, on the other hand, I, I, this case I was talking to you about where the individual walked off was suicidal, uh, I contacted the captain that was investigating. He sent me the police report, told me everything they did. Um, you know, they have some very experienced, it's in West Virginia, but the manpower, um, the, the sheriff is a retired uh, Washington, D.C. Uh, investigator. Uh, so he's obviously very experienced. His people are. So it's. In a case like that, there's really nothing that I can see that PI for the Missing can help with. Well, it's interesting that they asked how much um, does PIs for the Missing charge. I mean, they could obviously see value there that the nonprofit brings them. Well, this this department did. Yeah. Um, I, I was dealing with a department in Texas on a case, and, and uh, you know, you come up against um, – all sorts of roadblocks sometimes in getting information. This particular case involves a juvenile, a runaway that was a juvenile when they ran away. And the department was very cooperative, but they couldn't release the information because the person who ran away was a juvenile. Juvenile information is protected and they can't release it to the public. 
So even though the person now is an adult at the time, they couldn't release it. So, but this department also said, we want to help. We want you to help us. So we're actually in a process now. They're hiring me as a consultant so that they can share the information legally. And they, that went through their legal department and the attorney general and all that stuff. And, and it's taken quite some time, but we're finally getting to the point where they'll be able to share what they've done. And the detective said, frankly, we, we want to work in a case, but we just don't have um, the resources in the mayor. It's a big city. And they, they have, you know, I mean, during the middle of it, one of their officers got shot and killed during the middle of this whole process. So that's the type of city you're talking about. And they just don't have the resources to be spending on a 20 year old case or whatever it is, you know, um, but they, they feel it's solvable. And that if the time was put in, it could be solved. So, I mean, there's an example of a department goes out of their way to try and cooperate things, uh, cooperate. It's something that I guess has been on an upward trend lately. We have been informed by the Vermont State Police that they have a cold case specialist unit where civilians will be hired, I think, on a part-time basis to go through documents and even sit in on some um, questioning uh, uh, situations if they bring in a witness uh, so that they can be a pair of fresh eyes and report back to the investigating officer and say, well, I kind of noticed that this person didn't quite answer this question, or maybe next time ask this question. I think it's amazing that the department uh, there in Vermont, the state police, are even open to doing that, and not only open to it, but spoke glowingly of them and said that they really wouldn't be where they are without them. And now you have yourself that's been hired as a consultant. Um, do you see this trending in a, in a positive direction? Uh, and, and does this happen um, in other places that we're not aware of that you might be aware of? To be honest with you, I, I don't know. Uh, I think Vermont has really progressive in that area where they, um, and this has only been within the past few years, you know, that they've progressed to the point where they've hired these two civilians who do a great job. I've met both of them. I've been in conferences with both of them. And, um, you know, they have a, a room up there that is set aside and it's full of files strictly on Brianna Maitland's case. And what happens on these cold cases, as, as you well know, uh, I mean, her case is 17 years old. The original investigators are retired the people that took over after them are retired <laughs> or promoted or move on. And so now you got a new investigator comes in and here's this room full of files. And that's not their only case. That's just one case. And they're not dedicated to just that case. They have fresh cases coming in all the time. So they have these access to these civilian researchers who can compile things and put things in a logical order and it's, it's invaluable. I think it's a great idea. Now, Vermont's a small state. Maybe that's one of the reasons where it's more feasible than a state like even Massachusetts, where there's, you know, uh, multiple large cities and, and everything. I, I don't know whether that's a factor or not. But I think it's a reflection of the atmosphere in our country now with law enforcement, where we're becoming more transparent with a lot of things over the past few years. And I think hopefully the cold cases is going to um, benefit from that transparency. And that can't be total, obviously, because the, some things have to be kept confidential. The use of civilian researchers, I, you know, I know how much research researchers for PI for the missing do, and that's a lot. 
a lot of it. And um, it's time consuming. It really is. And it takes a special skill, patience. And if you're doing an active investigation, you don't always have the time. I have trouble keeping the cases straight that I look at. Somebody will say a name to me and I have to go back and look at the file to see which case they're talking about just because of the the volume of of cases that are come in. Yeah. um, That said, Lou, is PIs for the Missing looking for more investigators to join the team? Well, just two weeks ago, we put out a request or I did through a an investigative group that I belong to called IntelliNet, which is an international organization of private investigators and from all different areas. I mean, they, some are do just forensic exams. Some, I mean, they, they do everything, but they're very well vetted by the company. I mean, they, you just don't join. You, you have to be qualified to get in. So many retired FBI agents, many retired state police investigators, big city investigators, um, podcasters uh yeah so anyways we i i asked mr maitland if he was interested in trying to uh, broaden the scope of of resources that we had for investigators because right now we you know there's only a few that are really working on it and geographically it doesn't make sense for me to work on a case in california or you know greg to go to florida it's just financially isn't feasible so who said, yeah, well, let's, let's, I figured we'd get maybe a half a dozen responses. I think we're over 50 um, from most states, uh, Canada, South America, United Kingdom, Asia, Russia, all over the globe. We're investigators saying, yeah, I'd love to help. Yeah, I'm interested. Yeah, let me know what we can do. Really, really um, impressed with the, with the response that this group has come up with, you know. So that gives us a list of potential people to reach out to that at least we know will, you know, are interested in helping if need be. In fact, we had a, a request come in from uh, Central America what, last week, I think, Jen. I don't know if you're familiar with that one or not, but, and yeah, we have an investigator in um, Argentina that also covers Central America. And I contacted him and said, yeah, sure. I'd be glad to talk to the board of directors and do what I can to help out. So I think they're going to have a meeting next week sometime or something. That is pretty impressive that you can um, expect a handful of replies and receive dozens and dozens all over the world. I mean, that's, it's a network that I didn't realize was so prolific, I I guess. I was surprised too. I mean, I know the group and I know the people that are involved in the group and they're, we've utilized them before we needed a, someone on the Franelic case to do a statement in Delaware. So I found an investigator and extremely well-qualified, retired uh, New Jersey or uh, state trooper. And um, one of the investigators, a retired Connecticut cold case trooper who actually knew a a cold case trooper that I used to work with down there. And um, he did the statement for us. And so I've used them before and I know they're quality people. And And that's one thing you have to be careful of because some states, like Mass is fairly strict in who can get a license as far as qualifications goes. Other states, not so much. People get a, they'll hire a private investigator and they'll do some work and um, not really do much except send bills. And then they just disappear and, you know, people are left with nothing. I mean, we, there was a case and I don't want to name the name of the case because I don't want to embarrass any investigators, but 
the cold case, seven years later, they hired a PI and he started doing surveillance on the person of interest and build them for hours and hours of surveillance. What good is that? I mean, it's not like you should go and dig up the body in their backyard or something while you're watching seven years later. I mean, come on, you know, it's, but billable hours, I guess, you know. And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Thanks to our sponsors. And now we're back to the program. I have a broad question for you, Lou. What makes a good investigator? Being uh, inquisitive, uh, not giving up. I mean, being persistent, I guess. You got to have a desire to do it, number one, obviously. And if you don't have that desire, you just, you got to be in it for the right reason. And that right reason isn't necessarily monetary. There's no money in cold cases. You cannot make a living doing cold cases. It just isn't going to happen because the victims' families do not have funds. Um, if you want to make money as a private investigator, you got to do workman's comp cases and, and, or specialize in some type of area that, you know, you make your own little niche. But cold cases isn't it. So no one is a perfect investigator. Working as a team is is all the team approach is is always best and you know some people have are good at something some good people are good at uh, interview skills some are you know not so good at interview skills you know, the best investigator interviewer i had working for me was a young lady who was a detective of mine she would sit in a room for hours and hours and hours with the victim and go an overstatement 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 she was a sex assault investigator now, I personally don't have the patience for that. <laughs> you know, I, I just don't. I'm, you know, you know. I think one of the keys is recognizing what you do well, and what you, what you don't do well, and balancing it off with someone who has skills that you don't have. You know, look at Greg. Greg. Greg was never a police officer, but if I was on the run, I wouldn't want Greg coming after me because he's not going to give up. He'll drive four miles and pound on doors, and and that makes him a good investigator. You know. Absolutely. And how do you vet um, private investigators? Qualifications, you know, what you do for prior work, how long you've been in the business, talking to them, you know, it, you can get a feel for people how uh, we want professional people. Everybody has their own skill set and um, it depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking for, there's a, you know, I made a connection down in Texas, a guy that does uh, specialize, he's a private investigator, does all sorts of things, but his specialty is cell phones, pinging cell phones extracting information off of cell phones. Um, and you also need investigators that recognize that if it's a case where it turns out to be a crime involved, that we have evidence considerations to keep in mind too. I mean, the last thing you want to do as a private investigator is, is mess up prosecution of a case because you did something stupid. You know, you, you have to always keep that in mind. You don't want to 
to, to mess up prosecution, I guess. Can you uh, elaborate on that a little bit? Because if you're dealing with um, a missing person that's going on, you know, 15, 16, 17 plus years missing, where does one draw the line in terms of what they feel comfortable collecting and touching and maybe independently analyzing? The big thing in evidence, one of the big things is chain of custody. And you don't want to taint evidence. So a lot of it depends on the wishes of the client too. In, in many of these cold cases, the client's priority is finding the person. Prosecution is second. At least that's what they say now. Now, if you find a person, <laughs> that priority may change in a hurry. That's why I think having a police background is good in, in many areas because you do recognize the evidence considerations. And, um, you know, and, and that's one advantage that, private investigator has over the police because we're not bound by the constitution. I don't have to Mirandize anybody. I don't need a search warrant. I may be trespassing, but I I don't need a search warrant. There are advantages. There's disadvantages also, because obviously we don't have access to the files they do. We don't have access to the databases that they do. Um, People don't have to talk to us. um, Sometimes don't want to talk to us. Sometimes they'd rather talk to us than the police. Every situation is different. Lou, you mentioned Greg Overacker a little while ago, yeah. and uh, he is the uh, the lead private investigator on the disappearance of Erica Franilich that has been worked on by him in private investigations for the missing. Are there any updates on that, or can you tell us where that case is? I don't know that there's anything startling that's new. Uh, they put up the billboards. You know, Greg is much more familiar with, with it than I am. I can tell you he's still working on it uh, because he, we had a conversation the other night, and he was telling me about an interview he did, so... I don't want to say it's uh, close to being solved. Um, I don't want to say it's unsolvable either. And all I can say is we're still working on it. He's still working on it. It's difficult because I don't think he's had the cooperation from the police that we've had in Vermont, different agency, different people involved. And I'd like to unpack a little bit of what Jen said in the beginning, where she claimed to have learned a lot from, from you working together over the past uh, year or so. Um, what is it that you learned, Jen, when you went into this? And now looking back on it, you can say, oh, my approach might not have been what it should have been because of what Lou's taught me. Is there anything specific that stands out? She learned where the good restaurants are in the Burlington area. That's what she learned. <laughs> That's all you need to know. <laughs> Excellent breakfast food here in Vermont. Now, one thing jumps out at me um, when we were up in uh, Richford, talking to some people in the Piranha Maitland case. It was the first time I had sat in on an interview that you've done, Lou. And just the way that you kind of maneuvered through a rather difficult interview subject, because it was kind of meandering and stuff, but you always brought it back to center and you asked very pointed questions. And I, I learned a lot through that process. And you were always patient. Like you never interrupted her. You let her talk. It was really powerful to watch. Well, that just as an aside, that was indirectly. Um, it wasn't involved directly with Brianna's case. Right. I just want to make that plain that it was an investigation, but it was not specific to Brianna. That makes sense. I don't want anybody thinking that she was sitting in on a as a podcaster on an interview <laughs> with a suspect or anything like that. It had not really, at all. This particular interview had nothing to do with Brianna's case whatsoever. So it, had, it was a totally different um, 
different subject matter. But and it was a difficult interview and not done in the best of circumstances. I and I when I teach interviews at the academy, we you know it's you, you try and um, set a stage almost. I mean, you want it done under certain conditions and to have an ideal atmosphere. This was done at a picnic table in a backyard, <laughs> so not, not with with people around and neighbors that were overheard the conversation and less than ideal, I guess. Yeah. But that's part of it though. Like um, you have to adjust to the situation, right? You, you do. And, it, and that's one of the differences between being a private investigator and being a detective. If it was a detective. I'd have that person in an interview room in the station under a controlled environment, you know, record everything and control the environment. And obviously you can't do that as a private investigator. You do it where you can. Um, as far as the other cases go, I don't think there's really a lot of new stuff. You know, unfortunately, and I think Brianna's case is case in point, COVID has really put a damper on things because um, particularly with the police agencies, uh, I mean, Vermont was virtually shut down for a year. The investigators were working out of their house and they weren't interviewing people in person except in active cases and everything really really slowed things down a bit i think on the other hand we've had like i said we found a few people recently uh, one of the things i've learned which i never suspected i guess or thought about before we started doing these cases is sometimes when these people contact us and say you know my, my son is missing my daughter's missing and i haven't seen them and you know i think my ex-husband took the child and and when you look into it, you find out that the child isn't missing. The husband didn't take the child. The person who's calling, um, the child wants nothing to do with for because of his historical incidents. Um, <laughs> and they, of course, didn't tell you this. You know, They make it sound like this child's been kidnapped, when in reality, the child wants nothing to do with the parent. And they're easy to find because they're not hiding, except from her. <laughs> Or him, as the case may be. We've had a couple of those recently um, come in like that, that we found and then found like, okay, yeah, we know where they are. And uh, sorry, we can't share that with you. They're fine. Yeah. I mean, that's that's why we've found it prudent to do a little bit of background research before we even like take it to the podcast or even to the, to the PIs to make sure there's no red flags like that, that we don't spend a lot of time and resources on, on things like, like people who don't want to be found, you know? Yeah. The last thing you want to do is find someone for that, as you said, doesn't want to be found by whoever happens to want us to look for them. And, you know, that's not obviously why we're there. I mean, there was another one, um, a woman missing out of Atlanta um, who had changed her name and um, she was located. I mean, I, I didn't actually speak to her, but I found out that she was okay. And she doesn't want to be found. Period. She changed her name. She's moved for whatever reason. It's her business. She's she's alive. She's okay. She's on her own. She doesn't want to be found. So that's all you can do is tell the person who requested it that hey, we she's okay or he's okay. And that's all. That's all we can do. You know, I think uh, I, I wish we had more funding. <laughs> you know. Obviously, for the nonprofit, I mean, I think that's the that's the key right there. You know, you can't expect the investigators to put in a lot of time that these cases require always pro bono because they have businesses to run. You know, 
I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate I'm retired. I, I don't have to do this for a living, so I, I can put time in and not charge anything. But obviously that's, that's the exception, not the rule. So we do have a few other investigators like that that, uh, that are willing to do it, you know, for, for pro bono, but you know, other, um, Invested, you have expenses. You have to pay for your license. You've got database subscriptions. You, you know, there's all sorts of office expenses. And, you know, you can't be can't be afforded to giving away services all the time. So, funding is key. We really need really need to get some uh, either a grant or, or a beneficiary or something to help out. So, if you're listening out there, uh, whoever might have a connection to anyone who can write grants or anybody who provides grants, please contact us. But if you just want to donate to this incredible nonprofit that helps the families of people who have been underserved, you can go to investigationsforthemissing.org and right there on the front page, you can see where to donate. And although we were just talking about major funding and grants and, and, and that type of money, anything matters. 20 bucks, 50 bucks, five bucks. It doesn't matter. Like any, anything that comes in will help. slots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky play for free at luckylandslots.com daily bonuses are waiting no purchase necessary void were prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details